There we go. My apologies. Uh, Our scripture reading this morning comes from two of the Gospels. The first one is from Matthew 23, and the second one is from Luke chapter 6. You can follow along and read these with me. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside also may become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. So you also, on the outside, look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is our passage from Luke chapter 6. The good person, out of the good treasure of the heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we have a couple of weeks left in our series uh, before we turn to Lent and be looking at uh, the meals of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. But we're in this series, um, In the Life of Jesus, considering what Jesus believed. And as we're doing that, we're reflecting on our own lives as his followers, if that's a choice that you've made, um, as to whether we not only believe about Jesus and also believe in Jesus, but whether we are learning also to believe like Jesus. If you've been around for the last several weeks, you might be getting tired of hearing me say that, Uh, but uh, uh, as a teacher, repetition is the mother of all learning. So we can believe things about Jesus, like pretty much everybody. Uh, Some people choose to believe in Jesus, but very few ever really learn what does it mean to believe like Jesus, to believe as Jesus believed. And that's what we're talking about during this series. And so today we're looking at a portion um, of Jesus' teaching that in many ways is like a, a sequel to last week's message. And if you were here last week messi- from last week's message, you might remember some challenging words, some, a challenging teaching that Jesus gave us when he said, uh, if you want to be my followers, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And, uh, and as part of that, we asked the question, well, what did Jesus believe that he was dying to? Um, and thus, what did he believe his followers needed to die to in order for us to live, to truly live? Um, to have the abundant life that he promises us in John 10.10. And I mentioned that there are two primary deaths that need to happen in the spiritual life. One is that we need to die to ourself as the center of our concern, And then two, we need to die to the world as the center of our security and significance. These two things are integrally related to one another. If you are able to um, increasingly over time in your journey die to the world as the source of your security, am I safe? And die to the world as your source of significance, do I matter? If you can die to the world as those things, then you don't really have to concern yourself 
um, with your own preoccupied needs. They, you find that they are taken care of. God is, God is secure. God is taking care of you and his promise is sure. However, if you are looking to the world as the source for your security, um, am I safe? And to the world as the source of your significance, do I matter? Uh, we know how unreliable the world is, and we know the brokenness of our world, which then creates an anxiety that causes us to feel like we have to hold on. We have to uh, think about ourselves all the time and protect ourselves. And so these two things are critically important in our spiritual journey, the, the growing, the learning to let go of the world as a source of security and significance and ourselves as the center of our concern. Um, and uh, one of my friends used to like to say um, that Jesus taught us to deny ourselves and love others, but we're much more prone to love ourselves and deny others. And so it's important that we uh, work on getting those right. Um, and so following that concept of dying to ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus, um, taking on the life and character and even thoughts and beliefs of Jesus, comes a big idea for today's message. And that is that Jesus believed that spiritual transformation is an inside job. Spiritual transformation is an inside job. Uh, when I was a teenager, I used to really, and I still do, but um, I'll use this time to sort of protect my reputation as an adult. Um, I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, I used to really enjoy show movies that were uh, involved people breaking into things like bank robberies or like, a, uh, like an art heist or a jewel heist or like a $150 million casino heist like in Ocean's Eleven movies, movies like that. Um, and in almost every story, uh, it's always harder to get in from the outside. But if you have someone on the inside, like a mole or a, you know, a, a spy or something like that, it makes the job a whole lot easier. This is probably a terrible analogy for the spiritual life. But nevertheless, uh, it is kind of like our life in Christ. Many of our attempts at becoming more like Christ are outside-in jobs. We're trying to fix this habit. We're trying to fix this vice. We're trying to overcome this temptation uh, and, uh, and this habit. And our inclination is to turn to our own strength and our own power and to try to modify our behavior. Um, but for Jesus, it's, it's not an outside-in job. It's an inside-out job. In our passage for today from the Gospel of Matthew, he's talking to the religious leaders. There's two groups of people. There's the clergy. There's sort of the professional ones. And then there's the lay people. Um, and they're very involved in their, uh, in their religious life. And Jesus is pretty cranked up, if you didn't get a sense from the reading. You know, we much prefer to picture Jesus with little lambs on his shoulders and children on his lap. And, and those are true, of course. We get those images from the Gospels. But sometimes Jesus had a whip in his hand. And in this case, it wasn't a whip, but he had some pretty harsh words for some people who felt like they were very righteous. They were very self-righteous. Uh, they were morally upright people. They... Um, 
they really believed in their scriptures and they were trying to get every single minuscule part of their scriptures right and to get it perfect. And in doing so, Jesus believed that they kind of missed the forest for the trees. They seemed to be judgmental, not compassionate. And when there was a conflict between the law, the teaching of the law, and a real human being who was suffering and in need, they seemed to err on the side of the law at the, at the cost of the human who was before them. And Jesus believed that despite all their zeal for the law and all their passion for the Bible and, and their religious way of life, that they, that they were blind to the reality that God's love was being poured out in a new way in and through Jesus. And so he had some pretty harsh words for them. In fact, the entire chapter 23 of Matthew uh, is called the chapter of the seven woes. There are seven woes when Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, seven times, woe to you, woe to you, and then he calls them a name, woe to you. Um, and, and by the way, the word woe simply means sorrow and distress upon you. So this is Jesus in the tradition of the prophets. If you've read any of the minor prophets, even the major prophets, you'll hear messages of judgment, harsh words. Um, and this is Jesus very much in that tradition, speaking to his religious leaders um, and, uh, and to the people who were in power, really, of the community. Sorrow and distress coming to you. Why? Well, he says hypocrites. Here's one example uh, of, of something he criticizes them for. He says, you travel over land and sea to make one single convert. And when you do, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you yourselves are. Yeesh. That's a little scary. Um, sort of calls into question some of our evangelism. Um, and it's no wonder you won't find these seven woes in the lectionary. They're not in the lectionary because they're just too harsh for church, you know. So I was able to smuggle them in here, you know, using just simply the authority of the Scripture. He calls them blind guides, blind guides. He says you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. I don't even know what that means, but it doesn't sound very good. You know, you, you're focused on the minuscule, but you're missing the big picture. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. This is Jesus the prophet calling them back to what is the true essence of the law. They might seem to have been get, getting the law right because they knew every jot and tittle, but they're missing the essence of it. And then he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then he says, you are like whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Okay, who wants to go home now? 
I kind of do, you know. Uh, This is not meek and mild. This is is Jesus frustrated uh, with the religious people who are trying this outside-in approach to their life with God. You might have heard the parable about the uh, public sinner who was excommunicated and was denied entry into the church. He took his, his uh, grief to God and he said, he said, Lord, because I'm a sinner, they're not letting me in. And God said, don't worry, they didn't let me in either. Which is, uh, anyway. Um, so when, I want to talk for a moment about how it is that we become followers of Christ. And what is it that happens in our journey as Christians, as believers? When someone becomes a follower of Christ, it's because they have ultimately at some point making an, made a decision to do so. doesn't mean it happens overnight. Some people grow up in church, but at some point, um, if you're a follower of Christ, you said, yes, you made a choice. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take my faith seriously. I'm not going to just sit in a pew or, uh, you know, I'm going to try to follow Christ. And we make that decision. Um, It's an intention to say of all the people and ideas that I could follow, I'm choosing to follow Christ. And then something tragic often happens. It quickly moves from an experience inwardly or a decision that we have made and it turns into a program. And whether it's from some church authority or uh, a parachurch authority, they start to, with good intentions, start training you how to think, what to think, how to to think about uh, the Trinity, how to read the Bible, who is the Holy Spirit, how to think about the church, all of these things which are good and important, but then it becomes easy to miss the forest for the tree. And so you get the right beliefs, rather than developing an authentic relationship with God. You're told, think this way, don't think that way. Um, And that means that you can actually know a whole lot about the Bible and know very little of the grace of God. And then once you get the right beliefs, the second part then often becomes right actions. So stop doing this, start doing this. Stop going skiing on Sunday morning and go to church on Sunday morning. Stop reading Tom Clancy and read the Gospel of John. I mean, these, are, these are, might be wise suggestions, but we turn them into rules and regulations. Now, don't get me wrong. Right thinking and right actions are very important. Um, having the right beliefs about God are, is very helpful. And having the wrong beliefs about God is very destructive. Uh, Doing self-destructive things to yourself and others isn't good. It leads to pain and suffering. So obviously I'm not saying we shouldn't have right beliefs and pursue right beliefs and right actions. But when we slide from an authentic experience with God and try to track our religious life simply through thinking and doing, we're working from the outside in. We're working from the outside in, shining up the outside, whitewashing. By the way, in Jesus' day, um, there were people who went around during the holidays, right before the big festivals when people were going to make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they would go around and they would literally whitewash the tombs to make them look nice and, and pretty 
for the holidays. This is a picture that I took of, of the um, old Jerusalem cemetery. It's the oldest cemetery in Jerusalem. These, this, um, this, the way in which it is now is, is about 500 years old, but the cemetery goes all the way back till before the time of Jesus. The tombs looked different then, but um, if you've ever been to the Holy Land and you've been to the Mount of Olives, this cemetery is right across from the Mount of Olives. I can, I can picture Jesus standing there pointing at these tombs saying, you guys are like those tombs. You look beautiful on the outside. You look great on the outside, but it's, it's the inside that counts. It's the inside that counts. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so if you want to know, well, what is the condition of your heart, just examine your speech. Examine the words that come out of your, your mouth. And maybe just for like a day, like, like this is actually a really good practice at the end of the day to think back and reflect prayerfully on your day. And where was I in sync with, with the heart of God? And you can think about the words, the conversations you have. And you might think, well, boy, my heart was kind of in the wrong place because of the way that I reacted to this thing that came to me. Um, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. It goes from the inside out. Jesus said something similar about money, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If you want to know where your heart is, if you're confused and you don't know where your heart is, you just look at how you spend your money and that'll tell you exactly where your heart is, Jesus says. Um, so the question we're left with then is, how do we take this journey of transformation? Because it, it is a journey, of course. It is our whole life journey as followers of Christ. How do we take this journey from the inside out? What does it look like? Now, we could do a whole 12-week series just on this, and we will in the summer in the adult discipleship class uh, where we'll be looking at the, these spiritual leaders throughout the centuries. We looked at last year, we did biographies on them, and this year we're going to look at their content because each of them, Henry Nouwen, Teresa of Avila, Dorothy Day, all these folks um, gave their lives to this question. How do I grow my interior life to become closer with God, to develop an experiential, authentic union with God? And they each develop their own ways of doing that, and they have a lot to teach us, and so we'll do that next summer. But here's a few things that, uh, that we can think about today. First, there has to be a desire. There has to be a desire. You're not going to grow interiorly if you don't have the desire to do that. Um, you won't stay the course if you're just doing it because you ought to. Now, you might not have the desire, but maybe you have the desire to have the desire. Maybe you want to want to uh, spend time in this way, and that's a great place to start. God can work with that. Um, but we gotta ask ourselves, do I really want a deep in, uh, interior journey with God? Do I wanna explore the interior landscape of my life. Um, and then second, it is to, uh, to, to make a decision. It's setting an intention. If you don't make a decision or an intention, it won't happen. You might wanna say, 
I would like this year, I would like to explore, I would like to give as much energy to exploring the interior life as I have given to exploring the exterior life of raising a family, having a career, playing sports, whatever it might be. Can I give as much energy to my inner life as I've given to my outer life? I remember setting an intention like this with one of my best friends to this day. His name is John Eshelman, and uh, he's in California, and we had just graduated from college, um, and we decided that we were going to meet three days a week at 6 a.m. in the morning at a little park called Crown Valley Park in, in uh, Orange County, and we were going to get together and work on memorizing scripture, and we, we did. We'd go find a different bench, and we would work on, our, on memorizing at the time. It was Colossians 3, and, and we did that for a while, and then we ended up, John ended up going to, uh, to Ecuador to serve Christ there, and I ended up going into seminary. But we wanted to know if people like Dallas Willard and Henry Nowen and Teresa of Avila and Thomas Akempis and Brother Lawrence, all these spiritual great people from the past, we wanted to know if they were right, if there really is, in fact, an interior reality that has depth to it where I can continue to experience authentic transformation, not just to live a religious life. And so it takes a decision. And it takes time. And it takes time. This is a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson would say. Um, it's like marinating a steak. You can't put the marinade on the steak, throw it on the grill, and expect the meat to have that flavor. It's got to sit overnight. And it's the same thing in the spiritual life. Um, uh, it takes time. I'm personally on a very long and slow journey. And sometimes it feels like, am I making any progress at all? But then you look back over 30 years and you see how God has carried you and has walked with you um, over the years and it's a, it's a wonderful blessing. But not just the process of time, it takes dedicated time uh, where you say, I'm gonna set aside some time to, to work on this, to do this work, um, this desire for a, a deeper life in Christ. And that will lead to some new practices some different ways of praying, uh, reading the scriptures, and those new practices will take on new behaviors, and those new behaviors will turn into habits such that it doesn't even feel like you're working on it anymore. It just becomes a part of who you are. And as we grow in our lives, our, our, our interior life becomes increasingly integrated with our whole self. So, uh, we're all busy, right? We're all very busy. I don't have to spend any time telling you how busy we are. But our busyness also causes us distraction. And our devices cause us all kinds of distractions. And th this interior life requires that we set those distractions a time, uh, aside for dedicated time for interior exploration. So let me suggest four things really quick and we'll wrap this up for today. The first is uh, to read, to read. Four suggested practices. Start with the scriptures, sure, great. Um, and read through the one of the gospels, the gospel of Mark in one sitting, or take a little bit and work on memorizing it. It's fascinating when you memorize chunks of scripture, how they show up when you least expect them um, in your life. 
And, uh, and if you think, I can't memorize anything, let alone the Bible, um, I, tr- I, I promise you, your efforts will yield fruit, even if you co- totally fail at it. But alongside the scripture, read some meaningful book about the spiritual life um, that you can... That, that you can read alongside the scripture about having an authentic encounter and experience with God, not just thinking about God, but, but encountering God. And one of those books I'd recommend, there's a number of them, but um, it, it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a classic. It's written a few hundred years ago by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Um, and it's one of the, the most um, greatest and most simple classics. And, and when you read that, you don't read it for content, for the amount of content to try to like read as much as you can for quantity. You read it for quality. So read a little bit and then when something hits you, stop. Stop the reading, put the book down, and that leads to the next one, which is ponder, ponder. So stop reading and then ponder. And you might not want to read that book again for the rest of the week or the rest of the day and just ponder that thought for as long as, as you need to. Um, you can even journal about it, of course. Love, love, people love to journal as one of the ways in which they deepen their thoughts. Um, Peter Drucker used to say that we don't grow from our experience. We grow from reflecting on our experience. And the same is true for reading. We don't grow from, we don't learn from reading. We learn from reflecting on our reading. And so it's important that we spend time reflecting on what we read. And then pray. Pray about what you're reading. Bat it around with God. Maybe what you're reading, some, some, some mystic is going to tell you to go sit in your room for six hours and wait for your teacher to show up uh, and, and will tell you everything you need to know. Well, take that thought into prayer. Lord, do you want me to try this? Is this really something something you want me to try to sit quietly in my room for, for an hour and then listen to how God moves within in your heart and in your intuition. And then finally, finally, surrender. Surrender each day. When you read the practice of the presence of God, Brother Lawrence will tell you that every moment of every day is an opportunity to surrender. Doesn't matter if you're doing the dishes or taking Holy Communion. Both are equally holy in God's uh, economy, in God's world. Um, They're all holy moments of surrender. So some of the other most helpful practices that we'll talk about in the summer, solitude, meditation, contemplation, examination of conscience. Taking retreats uh, is really helpful in growing interiorly. Um, and so we, our men's retreat that's coming up in May and the women's retreat's going to be coming up in October again. These are awesome opportunities or even spiritual direction where you meet with someone one-on-one who's trained, specifically trained, to help guide you in the spiritual life. I've been meeting with a spiritual director for nine years now. He's still in Seattle, but we meet via Zoom. It's been a wonderful journey, and I sure have a long way to go. Only through this inside-out work, only through this inside-out job, will we ever become like Jesus? Will we ever be able to love our enemies? Will we ever be able to pray for those who persecute us? 
because we just don't have the strength on our own. What we need is the life and power and faith of Jesus Christ that is in us. And so that is what this journey is all about. Jesus' entire approach to life came from the deep inside of him. And he calls us to live from the deep inside of us as well. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you love us and that you uh, have forgiven us, that your grace covers all of it. We thank you that you love us from the inside out and you transform us. And so help us, Lord, remind us, um, remind us of, of the truth of our own longings and yearnings as we experience them. Help us to not look to the world for our significance and security, but to look to you. And in doing so, help us to then be able to forget about ourselves and focus on you and your love for us and for others. And in doing so, that we might find our lives caught up in your life and your life caught up in our lives. Help us to be little Christs, Christians in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.